finally, I'd like to ask Andy Wood to come join me on stage this morning. Andy is the pastor of South Bay Church, and they have done so much to help us get ready for our launch this morning. Really, for the last two years, you guys have helped us plan, prepare, and pray uh, for this morning. So thank you for being here. Andy's going to say a prayer for us, and uh, we're going to continue uh, the celebration of our grand opening this morning. Awesome, thanks. I wanted to ask you guys just to look around the room for a second here. This is awesome that this room is completely filled up. There are people in the standing room only section. Can we celebrate that today? In fact, today our church is celebrating two years. And about two and a half years ago, I spoke on the phone with Ben as God was working in his heart, giving him the vision to start a brand new church. And it is one of the greatest rides that you can ever go on in being a part of the process of a new church getting off the ground. And so for some of you today, you're here, maybe you're exploring the whole God thing, maybe you've given up on church and this is the first time you've been in church for a very long period of time. And I just want to encourage you, you have a tremendous opportunity, no matter where you are in your journey of faith, to be a part of something very significant. But God is going to work in incredible ways through this church. He's going to minister his love to this community, to this area. And I want to encourage you to throw your heart in, to be a part of this, to be a part of changing this region with God's kindness, his compassion, and his love. I want to pray a prayer of blessing over you. And then Pastor Ben is going to come forward with the message. God, we thank you today for the incredible opportunity that we have to be a part of the brand new start of a new church, just like a baby being born. It's such a celebration. And today we look around the room and we see the different faces and people who are at so many different places in their journey, a journey of faith. I pray that you would minister to each heart with your love. Just as we sang that last song, that you are a God of love and mercy, that you love us all no matter where we are. We acknowledge that today. We acknowledge that, that we can't make ourselves clean before you, but because of your kindness, we get the opportunity to interact and to collide with you and experience your tremendous compassion. I pray that you would do that today for us. I pray that you would speak through Pastor Ben as he communicates through your scriptures today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Welcome again to the grand opening of Epic Church. Um, there are a few seats. I see about, I don't know, 40 people standing. Um, if you have a seat close to you and wouldn't mind sitting beside a stranger or that can become your friend, this might be a good, like, hey, three years from now, you'll tell, hey, I met my wife because she didn't have a seat. And uh, lots of good reasons to start a new church. And so excited that you guys are here. It, it's fine. I don't, you're not intimidating me if you're standing around the room. Uh, you know, you'll be the first one out in case of the earthquake deal. But just make way for the rest of us. Hey, I'm excited that you're here. And as we start our church, we're kicking off a series called My Perfect Life. And so what I want to do again is let's play a few perfect life scenarios out. I'm going to say in the perfect life and then ask a question, and I want you to give me a verbal response, okay? So in the perfect life, and I'll give a couple caveats when I give the question, in the perfect life, what would you eat every day if cost was not a factor and calories did not exist? Give it to me. Cheesecake, red, red velvet, what? Coke Icy's. Chacha, what's that in the back? In and out cheeseburgers every single day. Anybody else? Lobster? Eclair. Eclair. What else? Both A veggie burger. A veggie burger. 
that's you, that's great. It's a perfect life, though, so whatever works for you. Okay, this one I want to ask men first, and then women. In the perfect life, men, what would the temperature be outside every single day? Give me Fahrenheit. 75. 70, 75. Thought we had some men in here. But... <laughs> I think about being the pastor is that I had the privilege of setting it on whatever I wanted to set it before you guys got here. I threw it on 65. So if you're cold, hate me. If you like it, love me. I, I like gift cards to men. Uh... 70, 75. Anybody else? Any, any men out there want to throw me some guesses or some suggestions? 68. 68. 70. All right, ladies, it's your turn to represent. In the perfect life, what would the temperature be every single day? 78. 80. So if you're saying 80, I assume you live in San Francisco because you have to. You're not here for the climate. You're not here for uh, for the weather on a daily basis. So so that's great. All right, and let's think in terms of those of you who have jobs, uh, or if you don't have a job, participate as if you had a job. Keep getting that unemployment thing. Uh, so what would your boss do in the perfect life more of? What would, what would your boss do more of? And, and if your boss is here, that's okay. That's okay. They need to hear you. It's kind of like a performance appraisal before your year's up. In the perfect world, perfect life, what would your boss do more of? Bonuses, raise. You guys are all filthy greedy. What else would your boss do more of? You would... More religious time off. <laughs> more religious time off. Would he let you work from home more? Starbucks. <laughs> nice, nice. Anything else you would want your boss to do in the perfect life? More time off. I read, my wife was reading a book, and I don't know, I'm not going to let any of my staff members read it, and you'll know why in a second. She was reading a book, and she said, Ben, you know, uh, the U.S. is really one of the only countries that doesn't have a vacation law. So again, staff, don't read that. I'm going to give you the title. It's like to work our team to death. Um, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I wasn't even trying to listen well. My staff out here, any suggestions? They have the perfect job and the perfect boss, it sounds like. So, hey, so, so our, our icon, our image for this, for this series is this 50s-style housewife uh, who is, if you can't see the image well, look into your program. She is not only giving you the okay sign, she's actually winking, right? And if you remember television shows that are representative of this lady herself, it's so interesting to me. Like, everything's just... Fine, right? But we all have lived long enough to know that there is no perfect life, true? And none of you, when I make that statement, no one's going, oh my gosh, he's never had my life before. No one's saying, you know what, I'm not sure that that's true, or that's a, a new kind of wow concept. It's, it, it's, not, it's not hard to know that there isn't a perfect life out there. But here's my question. Even though life isn't perfect, could it be possible that God intended for our life so much more than what we're currently experiencing. Right? And so I think there's really two extremes. We come into life a lot of times, I see with my kids who are down here on the front row, they really have an ideal life in mind. In fact, my five-year-old who's down here, he said just a couple weeks ago to my wife, he's five, remember that, he said, you know, Mom, I, I, sometimes I forget that the world didn't begin five years ago when I came out. <laughs> Which is a great, he's, he's a very humorous, humorous kid, very entertaining. But, but it's one of those things, so we have the ideal, especially when we're young, that this idea that, man, there is this great, perfect life out here. If I could do this, if I could have that. And then sometimes we get thrown around by life, or our dreams are shattered or broken, and so we kind of go like, oh, there is no hope. But most of us live between those two, right? We're either heading towards perhaps more of the ideal life, or we're coming back and going, you know what, I just, I don't think it's meant for me, because we've lived long enough to know that life 
isn't perfect. And while it's not perfect, I do believe that we can go, okay, what's the point of life? What is the point? What did God intend for us to live lives of? What, what is the purpose? Of what's the intent? One of the things we say at our church is that our mission is to live life as Jesus intended for the good of the city and the hope of the world. And, and so we want to know what is the intent God had for our lives? There's got to be more to your life and my life than just the jobs we have. True? Hopefully? <laughs> Definitely? And if you're unemployed, you're going, of course, there's got to be. And some of you are in school, but there's got to be more to life than you getting a degree so that you can do that thing and do this thing and figure out how to write that paper that you're never going to use in real life. And There's, there's got to be more to life than that. There's got to be more to life than just, hey, you're supposed to be in a few relationships and living in San Francisco, California or somewhere else in the Bay Area. There has to be more to life than that. And one of the things I think the Bible does a great job of is it reveals who God is, and it also reveals God's intention for our lives. What life looks like when it's lived at its best. There's many, many stories, because we all have similar stories to this, of men and women throughout the scriptures that, that lived life at its worst. God redeemed them or inter, uh, intercepted what was going on, interrupted their lives, and, and really put them back on a path to live the life that He intended. Still not a perfect life. And I wonder perhaps if God would do that or begin doing that among us this morning. We're going to open up to Acts, which is a book in the New Testament. And if you don't own a Bible, we want to gift you a Bible right now. And so if you don't own a Bible or you want a new one, it's nothing fancy, but as a gift from Epic Church, just raise your hand, and we want to give you. We've got people walking up and down the aisles. Hold them up high. And if you left your Bible at home, you can borrow this one, or if you like it more than yours, again, it's just a small investment from us to you. But here's what we want to say. We believe that it's worth you having the Scriptures to see who God is, what he's made you to do, and how that should interact with the life he's given you to live. Anybody else, anybody else need one? And if you um, like reading things on your phone or your iPad, there's a great app, and uh, here it is, the ESV Bible app. You can get it right now for free if you want to get on that. Um, the ESV is just the version of the Bible that we teach from here at Epic, and so uh, if you want to get that on your phone right now or get it later, it's just called the ESV Bible app stands for English Standard Version. So it gives you a great opportunity to understand, again, who God is, what His purpose is for our lives, what His purpose is even in history, and what His purpose is really in the future. And so we're going to be in Acts chapter 17. If you've got one of those Bibles that we just handed out, we're going to be on page 793. The rest of you have to find it on your own. But if you've got one of the gift Bibles, and again, that's yours to keep. If you, if you don't want to keep it, you can turn it in at the information table. We'll be on page 793. We're in Acts chapter 17 for this morning. And, and I want to catch you guys up. What's going on? What's taking place so that we can better understand the story that we're going to interact with here in a minute? So there's a guy named Paul who had his life really dramatically, dramatically changed by Jesus. You can read about that in Acts chapter 9. And so once his life is changed, he begins to go from city to city sharing that change, that transformation, and the message behind that transformation with many, many people throughout various cities. He would show up in synagogues and teach. He would find people that were discussing this or that. He would show up and teach. And so where we find him in Acts chapter 17 is in Athens. So uh, anyone ever been to Athens before? Was it good? Good to go? Place we should go? All right, about five or six of you. That's, that's great. And so he's in Athens. And, and one of the things we know about Athens, even from our own history study, is that uh, great uh, center of religion and of culture and philosophy, right? And so really a place where so many new ideas emerged. Any, anyone can tell me a great philosopher or two or three from Athens? Socrates, who else? Plato, who else? Yeah, so oh, those are the big three, and you could go on and on and on in that study, and I invite you to do that if you're a history person. 
Um, so you have Plato, Aristotle, Socrates. These are men who basically lived about 400 or so years before Paul shows up on the scene. But if you have your Bible, look, we're going to start reading in verse 22. But before that, look at verse 21 so you understand the context of what's taking place. That verse 21, before we get to the our part for today, it says, Now all the Athenians, those who lived in Athens, who were from Athens, and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. Alright? So there's just always philosophies emerging out of Athens. People having great new ideas, sharing those new ideas, asking other people what they think about those new ideas, come back the next day, share some more ideas. And so Paul understands the, the kind of culture that he's walking into. And so we'll start in verse 22 through 28. You've got your Bible there, hopefully, or one we gave you. The verses are on the screen. You can find it on your phone. So here we go. Acts chapter 17, 22 through 28. It says, So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward Him and find Him. Yet He is actually not far from each one of us. For in Him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed His offspring. What I want to get to this morning is what is the big overarching point of our lives. And this won't be an exhaustive session, so be grateful for that. It'll be daytime when we get out of here. But I, I do believe the Bible really from the beginning to the end, it really gives, it, it captures the heart of what we're talking about this morning, even out of these uh, seven verses or so. What's the big point of life? Why were you created? Why was I created? What is God's intention behind our lives? And I want us to, to first, before we get to the point of our lives, I want to discuss a few things that aren't the point of life. So here's the deal. First, we're going to just launch into what's not the point of our lives. The first one is this. We were not made to be religious. It may surprise you to hear a pastor of a church starting this morning say that we were not made to be religious. But I want to, again, show you in verse 22 and 23, we're just going to walk back through what we just read. Verse 22, it says, Paul standing in the midst of the Areopagus. He's standing there really with the legal council here in Athens. And he says to the men of Athens, I perceive that in every way, in every way you are very religious. Now, you would think if they knew Paul's past, you would assume that they were giving that or they were receiving that as a compliment. Paul, perhaps, was the most religious person that, that, that we know of among the Jews. In fact, I want to show you, don't, you don't have to turn there, and I won't either, but if we could have Philippians chapter 3, verse 4 through 6. Paul wrote 13 books or so of the New Testament. Okay, and what I want you to see in the three verses in one of these books called the book of Philippians, wrote it to the people of Philippi. I want you to see Paul's religion resume. So here we go. He says, this is Philippians 3, verse 4 through 6, if you want to write that down. He says, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. And in verses 5 and 6, he's just going to throw down his religious resume. 
He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day, adhering to the law, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, of really that top hiding tribe, top shelf tribe, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He's saying, if you were a Hebrew and you thought you had it down, I was, I was the Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. If they had known Paul's past, what they would have assumed Paul was saying is, you're very religious, you understand the point of life. What Paul would go on to say in that Philippians chapter 3, what he would go on to say is this, but all those things that I could have counted as positive things in my life, they really got me nowhere. Paul would go on to say things like, hey, adhering to all those strict rules of commands and the law and being a Hebrew of Hebrews, in the end, it, it gained me nothing. It gained me nothing. One of the things Paul wants these guys to know is that, hey, being religious is, is, is one thing. Um, being devoted to something, that's a big deal. Being loyal to something, that's a big deal. But it doesn't always lead to transformation. And I just want to say, as we begin our church, we don't want to be religious. We don't care about being religious. And I mean that in the best sense. So please let me unpack that again. We care not about being intimately acquainted with a set of rules and rituals, but we care deeply about being intimately acquainted with the God who we believe made us in His own image and seeks us in relationship. So God didn't make us to be religious. Another thing God didn't do is God did not make us because He needs us. That may be a letdown for some of you. Especially if you think you're God's gift to men or women. You're like, he might not need me, but I know a few people who do. <laughs> Verse 24 and 25, hear this. The God who made the world and everything. Big God made everything. He's Lord of heaven and earth. He doesn't live in temples made by man. What Paul's saying there, we don't create God and then serve him, right? In our culture and in our own lives, every one of us in this room, there's a great temptation to make our own God and then worship him and live for him. But we're not really making a God. We're just making ourselves God in that instance, right? And so he's made the world and everything. In verse 25, he, he is not served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Do you have people in your life who are needy from time to time? Yeah. Or all the time? Yeah. And again, stop pointing. I mean, that's, that's true. So we all have needy people, right? They always need a place to crash. Right? They always need some extra cash. They always promise that this time they're going to pay you back tomorrow. Right? They need, your, uh, uh, they need you to co-sign with them on a home they want to buy. You're like, that's probably not happening. Right? <laughs> well, let me just free you with this. In the relationship you have with people, you may be the one meeting their needs lots of times. And some of that we need to do for sure. In your relationship with God, you'll always be the needy. And I don't mean that in a harmful way, and I don't mean that in a like, hey, you're really struggling on your own. I'm just saying this, there's never going to be a situation in your relationship with God where you're going to help validate His existence, where you're going to uh, help raise His self-esteem because He's a little insecure. Okay? Those things are never going to happen in our relationship with God. Paul just says, hey, you guys need to know something. We don't construct because they've got all these idols and statues around, and Paul's looking at them going, hey, listen, God doesn't, God doesn't need you to prop them up. Right? God, God does not, He doesn't need you. In fact, He goes on to say, God is the one who gives you life and breath and everything. Right? So God is a giver of things. He's not, he's not looking, He's not needy, He's not a leech, he's not, he's not looking, He didn't create you so that you might live your life helping to meet His needs. He doesn't need you. And I'll tell you in a few moments why it's really good news. Third thing is this that you see in this text. God did not make us to make the sub-points the main idea. 
God did not make us to make the subpoints the main idea. In our culture, you see a few of these subpoints held up as the ultimate thing, right? So let's take a, a few of them. Pleasure, for instance, right? If pleasure is the big idea of life, then we'll do whatever we have to do for ourselves, do damage even to our own reputation, we'll do damage to other people, we'll do whatever we have to do if pleasure is ultimate in our lives, right? For many, obviously, we know that wealth is ultimate in our lives, right? And so if wealth is ultimate, you don't care what you have to do to make that dollar. You don't care who you have to jump over to make it. You don't care whether or not you keep your integrity to make that dollar. Because if wealth is ultimate, or status, if status is ultimate, then you want everything in the world to help you feel good about your existence and your reputation. Right? Maybe knowledge is held up as the main idea. And if knowledge is the main thing, then that's all you care. You want to know more. And you want to feel good about what you know. Perhaps for people like me, achievement is the main idea in your life at times. And so everything else serves that big idea that you just want to achieve. You just want to accomplish lots and lots of things. And let me just say this. If we make the subpoint the main idea and miss the main idea, life isn't going to work well. You're not going to have joy. You're not going to have peace. And ultimately, you're not going to be satisfied because you've made things ultimate that were never intended to be ultimate. With me? So the question is, well, then does God care about where you were? Absolutely. Does he care about who you live with? Yes, I would even say in a moment we're going to see that God probably puts you there providentially. Does he care about who you're in relationships with? Yes. But I just want to say this, and some of you are going to doubt the moment I say it, so just hang with me. Hold on if you can. He cares about all of those things. But there's a bigger reason why you live in the neighborhood that you live in. There's a bigger reason why you work at the place you work or why you're not going to work there soon. Right? Hopefully it's not because you're tired. Hopefully it's a really good God reason. There's a bigger reason why you're alive in San Francisco or the Bay Area. There's a bigger reason why you exist in 2011. There's a bigger reason why you're even at Epic Church this morning, regardless of the reason that you think it is. And I want you to see the reason that God places us in these places and in these spaces of life. Because remember, we all know this from school, right? Uh, you get the main idea first, and then all the subpoints support the main idea. True? Remember the main idea, it's in bold, it's in caps, it's in bigger font. And then from there you go, what are the subpoints? What flows out of this? The, the, the main idea doesn't, doesn't flow from the subpoints, the subpoints they flow from the main idea. So what is the big idea? In verse 26, God says, or, or Paul says, God made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. He determined the allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. This is big. What he's saying there is he determined geographically where you would live because God is sovereign. How many of you would raise your hand and say you were born in another country? Anybody born in another country? Try high. Be proud of this, please. How many of you were born in another state besides California? All right. None of you are here by accident. God determined the allotted periods and the boundaries of your dwelling place. He even determined that you would be alive in 2011 rather than 1011. Why? Verse 27 spells it really clearly, and the rest of the Bible supports this main idea all the way through. He did this so that you should seek God in the hope that you might feel your way toward Him and find Him. Yet He's actually not far from each one of us. And then Paul does something brilliant. He uses the context and culture therein, and he pulls some of the quotes from there. He said, of uh, a couple of their poets, In Him we live and move and have our being. Some of your own poets have said, We are indeed His offspring. What saying is this, we find the truest version of our lives in Him. Now this morning, again, we're all over the place with faith. And so I want to say this, some of you believe that you like yourself so much that were you to embrace God and His ways for your life, that you would lose your identity. 
And I'm going to tell you what I've found to be true and what the scriptures support is quite the opposite. That when you embrace the God who made you and when you embrace his, you embrace his intention for your lives, you actually find the truest intended version of yourself. Can I say that again? Again, you're doubting me and I'm cool with that. That's a great, there's a place for doubt and skepticism and questions. We want to encourage that always. But let me just say this. If you're afraid of embracing God and thereby losing your identity as a person, losing the you that you love so much, let me just say that when you embrace Him and His intended purpose for your life, then what you get is the best intended version of yourself. I'm telling you, if you don't think it's true, just, just man, experiment with me a little bit. In June of 2001, my wife Shauna and I were sitting up here with me. She and I uh, were working at a camp in West Palm Beach, Florida. Beautiful place. Anybody been to West Palm? You need to go. It's good. It's a long way from here, but it is a good place to be. Uh, a lot of celebrities of homes down there that we would, you know, never went inside, but we would, you know, as we passed in the boat, they would wave and say, that's so-and-so's home. Um, Jimmy Buffett and Donald Trump and, and all, all kinds of, uh, you know, you call it B-list, C-list celebrities, whatever. Well, we were working at a camp for teenagers who were there, and one day we went out to the ocean and we played a game of volleyball. I did a lot of things out at the beach, and then we got back to the camp that night where we were staying right on the intercoastal coastal waterway there, and I realized that I didn't have my wedding ring. And maybe 10 years in like we are now, I wouldn't feel quite as nervous and apprehensive about that, but we're six months in. I mean, I'm still kind of in the probation period, right? We don't know where this thing's going to go, and so I'm like, how can I lie to her? How can I, how can I go to the mall and get a ring so, so we can get it? And so we had responsibilities at the university that night, and, and so we did our thing, and I had a plan. I was going to go the next day back to the beach, and I was just going to, I'm kind of the eternal optimist, and that's not always a good thing. Um, a lot of letdown in life. Uh, but I'm like, I'm going to go, and I'm going to find probably uh, a person or two or three, a lot of rich people down there looking for coins. I'm going to ask to borrow a metal detector, and then I am going to just take it along the coast. And that's going to it's it's work out. And so uh, got in there and thought, that's a horrible idea. And then I thought, well, if I lost my ring in the, in the ocean itself, there is no way, right? But again, I'm an eternal optimist. It's worth it. Uh, I want to stay married. Let's go for it. And so... I remember there, there may be one logical choice here. I, I thought, what if it came off when I get the volleyball? And so, unfortunately, you know, in volleyball, you stay on one side of the net, at least for one game, and then you transfer to the other side, but then you're always rotating, right? And so I'm not a brilliant man, but I thought, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start at the back row, the side that I was on the most, and I'm going to begin uh, carving out squares, and once I carve a square, I'm going to start digging until I find the ring. <laughs> So I started at the back, I made a square, started digging, went to the next square, got all the way to where the inline was, and I went to the next row, and I dug a square, and I dug, or I carved a square, and then I dug, and I'm doing this all the way down. And wouldn't you know, when I got probably the second row or so from the front, I found my ring. Wow. That's right. Either that or I'm still lying to her all these years. <laughs> Unfortunately, she inscripted the metal of it, and so I couldn't, I guess I could have repeated it, but I didn't remember everything that was in there. <laughs> Bible verse, and I couldn't remember if it was the whole thing or part of it. And so, um, here, here's, here's what I'm to say about that. So, if I had lost uh, $20, it might have not been worth going back for. We were poor, so maybe it would. Yeah, maybe, maybe it would have. But if it was something insignificant, the, the search, the seeking, it would have been too much. Right? Because if it was something that wasn't worthwhile to me or I didn't value a lot, it just wouldn't have been worth it. And this morning, I want to say again that we're all over the spectrum. So, some of you in here, you have a deep faith in God. Some of you, it's not so deep, but it's, you know, it's, it's a commitment. Some of you used to have a deep faith in God. Others of you are, are hoping you find faith in God, and still there's a category, I'm sure, in this room that doesn't want to. You just hear maybe a friend invited you, or 
You're going to get the gift card. Well, we're going to give it to you. <laughs> Not until the end, but we're going to give it to you. <laughs> the campus that morning, I didn't have my ring, and so no matter how long I went search for it, the worst thing that was going to happen is that I was going to waste maybe a couple hours, and at the end of the day, being the same state I woke up with that morning, um, ringless, right? Some of you, I would just ask you to consider, just consider hanging with us through this first series, these first four Sundays, through March the 6th, so that's how long the series is, you got cards in your program about what we're going to discuss. Just consider this. If at the end of those four weeks or so you don't find him to be there, you don't find him to be true, you think it's a hoax, you've lost maybe an hour and a half in four Sundays of the month. But if you find him to be there, I think the game can be quite significant. I've been praying it for you. I want you to consider that as we go throughout the next few weeks. Three things again. God didn't make us to be religious. He didn't create you for that purpose. So if you've been going, man, I'm just not a big fan of religion, neither is he. He's not called you and I to live our lives intimately acquainted with a set of rules and regulations. He called, he's called us to live our lives intimately acquainted with the one who made us in his image and has a plan and a great purpose for our lives. Secondly is this. He didn't make you because he needs you. It's one thing to be needed, Right? It's quite another thing to be wanted and desired. So out of desire, He creates you. Out of desire, He creates you in His own image. We are, humanity is the only thing God has shared and displayed His image in. He makes you in His own image. And out of desire, Jesus leaves heaven. He comes to earth. He lives a perfect life. But because we haven't, He's willing to pay the price for the sins of everyone in this room and in the world. Out of desire, He comes. Out of desire, He endures a really painful, horrendous death. So that you might have the life God intended you to have all along. And third thing, don't make the sub point the main idea. Please. Enjoy the life-giving blessings. Even though we talked about God may give you great wealth. That's awesome. God might give you great relationships. Great. He might make you the most famous person in our city. Those are great. You can advance his kingdom using those. But they're not the main point. I'm not saying wake up tomorrow and have a horrible time at work. I'm saying have a great time at work. And you'll be able to enjoy work more when you realize it doesn't have to be the main thing. You'll be able to enjoy your wealth more when you realize it doesn't have to be the main thing. You'll enjoy people more. You'll enjoy knowledge more. You'll enjoy your own achievements more when your achievement doesn't have to uh, verify or validate your existence. You guys were asked a second ago to just write your information on this communication card. And again, first timers, bring it back to the table in the lobby. But I just wondered if you would look at the back with me. It says um, at the top, my next steps for today. And there's a lot of steps can be taken. Just a couple that we've kind of focused in on, whether it's volunteering or, or just attending the next service. Um, one of the top says, become a follower of Jesus. And some of you may be ready to make that next step this morning. Under that, it says, how can we pray for you? And I'm going to say there's a couple of things you can write here. Obviously, let us know how we can pray for you. Is there a job situation, a tax situation? Is there a relationship issue? Is there a uh, whatever, whatever it may be? Um, so you can list those things. But here's another thing that you can put here. If you would like to have one of our staff members just follow up with you and, and, and maybe let's grab coffee or let's grab lunch sometime just to hear what's going on in your life. I'm not stalking you. We're not going to do that. We're not going to see how many Facebook friends you have and make fun of you if you don't have as many as us. But we would love to be able to sit down just over a cup of coffee or over a meal and say, hey, tell me your story. 
what's going on. If you'd love just to share that, maybe we could help you with questions you have. And we may have questions of ourselves. We don't know it all, of course. But we, would, we do want to follow up with you. We do want our church to be a church that makes a significant impact in your life. There's places to serve in our church. For some of us, we know the next step in our faith is to get over ourselves and quit making all of our life about us. So maybe you want to volunteer. We have uh, uh, over 10 people right now downstairs with our Epic Kids team. Um, we have uh, probably 15 or so of our own folks who showed up at 6 a.m. this morning to set this room up that you're able to sit in this morning. I don't know what the next step is for you, but I want to encourage every one of us in this room, wherever you're at on the journey, what's the next step? Is it to make your faith more active? Is it just to keep seeking? Is it to begin serving? I think there's a next step for every single one of us. And I would just encourage you and ask you to be bold enough to take the next step, whatever it is. I want to pray for us, and then we'll have a few more things before we finish our service today. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you have created us with intent and purpose and not aimlessly. God, one of the most hopeless things in our life would be to think that you created us with no intention. God, I pray that for every one of us in this room, we would understand clearly what the next step is to take. God, that we'd be willing to take it. Father, I pray that we wouldn't just dismiss the ideas we've heard this morning, that we would literally not automatically accept them either, but that we would press into you and we would embrace you and we'd ask you in the hard questions of faith and we'd be willing to take the next step or at least hang around here long enough over the coming weeks to see, could this be valid? Could this be possible? Could there be a God who loves me and made me for his own purpose? Could there be a God who... And when I embrace him, I really become the most, uh, or the truest version of myself. God, would you do a great work in our church in this city? Such an influential place to live. Such an influential place to see your kingdom make great impact. That wouldn't just affect us here, but literally would sweep the world in the future. That's what we're praying. Give us that, Father. Would you just bless our church in that kind of way, in Jesus' name. Amen.